The QC Pod is a production of the Queen's Podcast Lab. For more, visit queenspodcastlab.com. This is the QC Pod, a podcast about the people, ideas, and projects that make up the Queen's College community. I'm Joe Cohen from Sociology. Today, our guest host, Sid Malvia, biology major and editor-in-chief of The Night News, introduces us to David Gerwin and Jane Guskin, two labor leaders here in Queen's College in the Faculty Labor Union. We're going to talk about some of the issues between the faculty union and administration and how the questions that they're grappling with affect students. The Night News' Sid Malvia talks to Jane Guskin and David Gerwin, faculty union representatives, next. Good morning, everybody. I have here with me today Jane Guskin and David Gerwin, who are both the PSC reps of Queen's College. Thank you so much for joining us today. So just to start off, can you tell us a little bit about the Professional Staff Congress, otherwise known as PSC by the CUNY folk? What are they? What's their mission? So the Professional Staff Congress is the union for faculty and a lot of staff in different titles, from PO's to CLTs. So uh, there are a lot of non-teaching adjuncts at Queen's, something like 37, a bunch in Seek and in the library. Um, And we are one union, whether you are uh, full-time faculty or you are adjuncting, doesn't make any difference to us. We represent you. Um, The basic mission of the Professional Staff Congress is to make CUNY a great place to be a student and a great place to get an education and a great place to be able to work and do research. And it seems like that basic proposition has been under siege the entire time that I've been involved with the PSC. And one of the things that the PSC does a lot is advocacy in Albany, for example, or uh, other kinds of work to promote the university. And Senator John Liu once said to us uh, two years ago that the problem is that the PSC doesn't get funded. The PSC is doing plenty of advocacy. It's CUNY that gets funded, and CUNY hadn't been asking for money or pushing very hard. So that's one of the roles that the PSC plays. The other thing that I have learned as chapter chair at Queens is that um, with contract provisions that have one-year appointments that require classes or three-year appointments or rules about um, having what work people do, um, I am ending up filling in for HR a lot of the time and saying, you improperly denied this person a class. You improperly removed health insurance from this person. Um, and that's, since the pandemic, been a huge um, daily effort of the PSC is to make CUNY honor the contract. And so the other thing that we do is we try and negotiate a contract that has um, significant provisions that um, protect faculty governance and that also make working conditions that allow people to actually conduct research and actually teach reasonably sized classes with some degree of stability and Uh, hopefully uh, enough payment that they can afford to live in New York. Um, Some days 
it feels like a really good day and we win a victory. And some days it feels like um, we're fighting a rear guard action as the university tries to eliminate health insurance from all kinds of titles in, in a crazy way. Yeah, thank you for that. So, um, Jane, would you agree that there's a bit of a contentious relationship between the faculty and the administration and all of us just trying to do our jobs? Uh, <clears throat> I would say that the um, uh, management of CUNY, as David pointed out, um, has not been very proactive in defending the mission of CUNY, right? And the mission of CUNY is to educate the whole people of New York meaning making uh, higher education accessible to everyone in New York, regardless of their background, regardless of their uh, economic situation. So I would say that <clears throat> for sure, the administration has not uh, been <clears throat> doing everything it can to support that mission and to get CUNY the funding it needs in order to really support that mission. <clears throat> and, um, yeah, so contentious relationship, yes, because as David pointed out, the union is fighting for that mission. The union is fighting for that funding to be able to carry out that mission. Um, and and the CUNY administration, which should be fighting for that mission, is falling down on the job um, and has been for some time. And that's just getting worse now um, with the, the sort of pretext of the pandemic. Um, so... So yeah, I would agree. There's a contentious relationship there. Um, you know, it wouldn't have to be that way if they were willing to uh, support the, the CUNY mission and give CUNY what it needs. But, um, you know, it's, it is what it is, the situation we're dealing with. Yeah. So when I think of you guys, I think of advocates. And, you know, with advocates, there's the idea of elected officials. So have elected officials been backing PSC and supporting you guys and actually trying to get your mission out there and helping CUNY administration realize that your lives are important, too, in all of this, that it's not just the students who are suffering, that there's faculty there, too? I think that there is really strong support for CUNY, incredibly strong support in the New York State Assembly. There's no question about that. Um, and Neely Rosick, who represents the area right around Queens, gave me her cell phone number and said, call if there's a disaster. She's very knowledgeable about CUNY. We are also incredibly fortunate at Queens to be uh, represented. So John Liu is a friend, and he actually adjuncts at Queens and knows quite a bit. But we also... Um, uh, the, the chair of the Senate's Higher Education Committee also is directly representing us. Um, and um, uh, she has very strong ideas about how funding ought to work and, and how things ought to go. So, for example, um, there was a bit of an argument with her over, um, let's say, the uh, Excelsior program because she was very much an advocate of all of the requirements that push people towards four-year graduation rates. So um, I think that's an example of Senator Stavisky wanting what's best for students, but maybe having a disagreement with us about how much leeway to create in that program. Uh, so that program perhaps works better for a student at SUNY um, than it does for students at CUNY. Um, but as a general rule, um, the the difficulty has been that um, the way that the state 
budget works, the governor has tremendous power in both setting forth the budget and also uh, the Senate and Assembly handed Cuomo incredible flexibility this year. So um, in an ordinary year, the governor puts out his budget um, and the, the Assembly and Senate have to kind of work within the confines of that budget. They have uh, table targets where they can move a bit of money here and there, but unless they absolutely stood up and did not pass his budget, or unless they were able to override a veto and increase revenue by raising taxes um, more than he's been willing to do, they have real constraints on them this year uh, because they handed the governor immense budget latitude. Um, he has currently withheld 20% of the CUNY budget, and you will see that in a really limited spring schedule. So I, I think that there is some strong goodwill and real support from the New York City delegation. Um, I, I will say that there are parts of upstate New York that are, um, that are hostile to funding CUNY or also funding K-12 education in the major cities in New York at the levels that they need. And that's a perennial debate about priorities. And one thing that would also, that, that has happened this year is that the PSC has worked with a lot of other budget justice coalitions because we don't want to be fighting uh, for putting a little more money into CUNY as opposed to housing or a little bit more money into healthcare and not having enough left left over for CUNY, um, if, the, um, if the income tax structure in New York State was similar to what it was before Pataki took office, um, there would be $30 billion more a year to distribute. Um, and, and that's a really important issue. So it is important for New York to um, reintroduce taxes on some of the wealthiest New Yorkers in a way that Governor Cuomo has consistently opposed in order to meet the challenges of this quite extraordinary moment. So with all that, with all that being said, one thing that comes to mind that CUNY used to be free once upon a time ago, and over time, clearly things have changed. So, you know, what caused that initial transition from having students paying no tuition whatsoever to all of a sudden students are suffering trying to deal with tuition increases semester by semester as things change in this pandemic? Yeah, for sure. It was free. Uh, my dad actually graduated from Brooklyn College in the 1950s when it was free. So I'm actually a beneficiary of that free education that, uh, that you know, the, the colleges that make up the CUNY system provided for uh, many years. And my understanding is, um, you know, with the, um, it was free, but it was also more exclusive. It was harder to get into. Um, and there was a movement in the late 60s, early 70s. I'm, I'm not so great with dates. David, I see David nodding. Okay, I'm good. Um, that uh, demanded open admission. So basically demanded this uh, like I was referring before to the mission of CUNY to educate the whole people, demanding that everyone have access to get into CUNY and to have uh, um, quality high, higher education um, at no cost. And so um, with this movement uh, succeeded in winning open admissions. And then in the 70s, the um, pretext of the fiscal crisis the response to that was, well, okay, but now we've got all these students who want to come, and so we're going to charge tuition because we don't have any money. And, you know, so that was 
so basically, once people, of, once students of color became a majority in the student body, then tuition was charged. Uh, and these these things were not unrelated in terms of how they came about. Um, so that's that's my understanding of the basic story. And I just want to kind of add to what. David was saying in terms of the um, elected officials and the policy and the tax policy that, you know, none of this stuff happens because these politicians are just, you know, on our side. I mean, some of it, there's a couple of them who are really proactive, but for the most part, it's required pushing them by students and by the members of the PSC, really pushing them on these issues to get them on our side. So I, I don't want that piece to get lost. Uh, Toby Stavisky was not um, doing everything she could until you know she got a lot more pressure from us. You 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 can't expect politicians to do elected officials to do things just because they feel it in their hearts. They need pressure, even if they feel it in their hearts. They need pressure. Um, and actually, I was involved in because um, I'm also a student at the Graduate Center. I was involved in student organizing. And uh, one of the very, uh, you know, pro CUNY elected officials, state elected officials um, told us, he said, you know, I want to do everything I can for CUNY, but I can't if I'm not hearing from you. I need to be able to go in there and say, I just got, you know, 5,000 letters from constituents demanding that I take action on this issue. So they need that pressure um, from constituents. And, you know, students did a lot of organizing over the past year that pushed, I think, a lot of the um, a lot of the elected officials to be more uh, proactive with CUNY. And that, and I guess the, the point of saying that is not just to give credit to the people who did the pushing, but to say, if we do more pushing, then hopefully we can get more of, you know, the, like a larger budget pie, as David is saying, rather than sort of fighting over scraps. And so that, that work is really important. So maybe Jane is one of, you know, the active organizers and, you know, trying to fight for change for CUNY. What do you think it is that puts CUNY on the back burner for so many, you know, politicians right now, like the state senators or the assemblymen or who, who aren't initially active, like you say, who need the pressure to do so? I mean, I think you answered your own question in asking it, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's what I just said, you need, you, we just need to put more pressure on, like if they're not, you know, advocating for what we need, then we need to put more pressure on. And I think this, the budget coalition that David referred to is, is really key in that, because like you said, we don't want to be, you know, competing with other important social needs for limited funds. We want to tax the rich and tax them in ways that they can't evade and that supports all of this stuff. We don't, we don't need to choose between healthcare and education. Like that's not a choice anybody should be making, right? Um, or food and education, like nobody should have to make these choices. We need all of that and, and we need to fight for it. So, you know, that's just, just how it is. You know, some, some, we, there are a lot of elected officials in New York who are CUNY graduates. That doesn't mean that they're going to fight for CUNY. You know, it just, they're going to fight for what we push them to fight for. I mean, we, they, we pay their salaries, they represent us, but that doesn't mean that they're doing what we want without being pushed. We just have to push them harder. And I guess over the past couple of years, what do you guys see as some of the major threats to CUNY that's making students anxious, it's making faculty anxious, and everyone all around very anxious about the fate of CUNY? There are a lot of threats that make me very anxious right now. Um, one, one of them uh, is 
the tendency to move courses out of the fall and spring schedule where um, they get covered by TAP. And by the way, when I say Cuomo's withholding the CUNY budget, he's also withholding 20% of TAP funds as well. So it's not like, okay, a student's attending, so New York's paying the money. But um, um, if you have courses in summer session when everybody, including the full-time faculty, are just hired as adjuncts, you simply don't pay people unless you stuff enough bodies into a room. And this means that you can't count on courses to run. People aren't making decisions based on whether students need a course for graduate graduation, which happens during the regular semester. Um, and it also um, doesn't help, doesn't um, in in the deal that the that CUNY and the union struck, um, summer courses do not help adjuncts get um, health insurance either. Um, so um, if you look at the chancellor's letter about the budget crisis, one of the things he's really excited about is how much money the summer session made. So the summer session is basically running a private uh, college in the summer, um, just based on what students are able to pay for with cash, rather than having people who are on uh, a full tap, for example, system be able to get their courses. So that's one worry that I have. Um, another basic worry that I have is simply not having enough uh, staff, period in all kinds of ways. So students will see that when they look at a schedule and they see that there are not the courses that they need, or when they show up for class, they got the class they need, but it happens to have um, double the number of people that they should have, or, or even a writing intensive course is creeping up. 25 is really high for a writing intensive course if you want every student to write every single week and to get responses from a professor and to do revisions and get responses to revisions while also writing the next paper. That's a hard stretch with 25, but you start putting 28 and 30 um, and it really becomes a burden. And it's like that um, in different ways for all the other classes. Um, so that begins to erode the quality of the education. That's what a student might see. What I see on my end is um, a huge, so adjuncts are teaching 70% of the classes at CUNY. Um, so one thing is when you, when you cut, when, when there's nothing left to cut in the budget at all, then um, you start cutting people and there aren't adjuncts and adjuncts who have been the, the backbone of a department's instruction and have taught two and three classes at semester in and semester out, unless they qualified for a three-year contract, they may not be getting courses. They're losing health insurance in the middle of a pandemic. That stuff keeps me up at night. But there are so many other spillovers. The, the erosion of um, uh, full-time faculty lines over the decades, uh, and really since the 1970s fiscal crisis, but there are just more and more students at CUNY being taught by fewer and fewer faculty. And the, the faculty are the people who are supposed to be able to, let's say, be involved in the union or be advocates, but also show up at the academic senate, work on curriculum work, all of the sort of um, efforts that faculty need to make in order to have a faculty governance 
Um, and I think, you know, what Jane talked about in Albany about uh, uh, a partnership between groups like the PSC and NYPIRG, right, between faculty and students, if you want that kind of partnership outside of classes, um, you have to have enough faculty around who aren't um, running ragged with classes that are too large and barely able to meet the governance structure responsibility. That just hands up things over to administration um, to run by fiat. But I'm not only talking about um, uh, faculty in this regard. You may have noticed that the bursar's office was breaking down and trying to get people financial aid or that the registrar couldn't get people's major declarations processed. And that's not because um, all of a sudden the people are bad people. Uh, of course, it doesn't help that there's a pandemic and that people are working from home and trying to batch process student requests on an iPhone without you know, the whole setup. But the, what was a 70-person uh, operation is now a 40 to 30-person operation. What had... Um, senior staff, um, full HEOs, is now being run by college assistants with assistant HEOs. And it's not that the people aren't um, working really hard, but there isn't the same sort of support and structure in place. Um, uh, Non-teaching adjuncts working in the library or in SEEK have been appointed not for a semester at a time, but month to month during this budget crisis. And they were initially told by CUNY that they weren't going to get any health insurance. And that was a whole other battle. So I see a lot of things falling apart. And that's before talking about the backlog of um, construction. You know, what are the, do you want to really have a class in Delaney? When's the last time that anybody did a serious upgrade? I mean, there's a reason why they call Rathus Rat House. Um, you know, there, there's just a lot of, um, collapse to the physical plant. And then there's talking about uh, university database subscriptions and books and support for the library. Um, um, you know, what, what the university really needs is a serious plan. And, and I'll take a moment and say that Matos Rodriguez looked for $250 million in additional funding for the university in his original budget proposal. And there was a five-year plan to hire more full-time faculty. It wasn't adequate. But the Mellon grant to talk about having a more diverse faculty is important. And one thing Jane might want to talk about that she's been a very strong advocate for is um, uh, taking the number of people who adjunct at CUNY, who are often more diverse than the full-time faculty, um, and also people who are at the graduate center like she's been um, and who might be on teaching fellowships, right, but, but who, who we actually could have a more of a mentoring relationship with. And uh, looking at some places like uh, California's university system or um, some parts of Canada that, that uh, have explicit pathways for people to move from um, uh, adjunct instructor towards members of the full-time faculty in a variety of different titles. It doesn't, it, there's a lot of different ways to be full-time and have that stability um, and be able to do so much more for students and for running the university. Yeah, um, Jane, anything to add? Um, yeah, I mean, David covered a lot there. Just wanted to um, 
say because there were a few acronyms used there that people may not recognize. So like POs are, it's a, a staff title, higher education officers. Um, and so he was referring college assistants are not represented by our union, but they're uh, lower paid. So they work in a lot of positions in, um, you know, in the university. Uh, so what he's referring to basically with all those acronyms and all those title things is, is a shift, first of all, reduction of staff overall, and then a shift of responsibilities from higher paid workers with more stable jobs uh, and stable benefits to workers who have, who are paid less and who have less stability, less job security, um, and fewer benefits. So it's that shift. And, and, and I think the key part of it that he mentioned is how students are being impacted by this, because I think a lot of students don't realize that how they're being impacted. They just think, oh, these people from the registrar's office didn't, you know, respond to my query. And what they don't realize is that those people are completely overworked and understaffed because those offices have been gutted by this uh, hiring freeze, refusing to hire any of the positions that are needed. Um, you know, so that's, I think, the, um, the really crucial element is just how students are being impacted by this, because I think that's often invisible. And it's really important for students and workers to all stand together to fight for more funding for CUNY and better, uh, you know, better resources, better resources for the CUNY mission. So this year we had a shift in administration at our own campus. We have a new college president and things are shifting clearly. So would you guys say you have the support of the current administration now in all the efforts that you're doing to protect faculty? Um, I mean, David can maybe answer that more tactfully than I would, but I would just say the answer is no. You know, I mean, I, I think whatever intentions the new president came in with, uh, and I'm not, I'm not ascribing any bad intentions to him. I'm sure that he believes in the CUNY mission. Um, but, uh, you know, he's, he's not controlling the budget strings that's coming from above. Um, so it's coming from basically from the chancellor and really that from the governor. The governor controls the chancellor, the chancellor controls the board of trustees and the presidents of the, the colleges. So you know, whatever intentions he may have, he's really just a gatekeeper. Um, and his job is to try to, you know, to show up at whatever meetings he has to show up at and tell people that he's going to do wonderful things. But, um, you know, without the budget for it, there's, there's a limit to, uh, to anything that he could do that would be positive, in my opinion. Yeah, and, I mean, um, what? Oh, you can go, David. I, I I, I just want to say that I don't think uh, it's at this moment an entirely new administration. The provost is the same. The vice presidents are the same. In fact, it's pretty much all of the people um, who were here under um, Matos, with the exception of Glenda Grace. Um, you know, there's been a little turnover of a dean here and there. But um, actually a lot of the, and, and some of the new deans were faculty before. So I, I, I don't actually see um, uh, a new administration in that sense. Um, and I think one, one concern that I've had is that, um, I mean, HR is also severely understaffed. And um, when you talk about things falling apart, um, uh, one thing that I spend my day-to-day 
life doing in a way that I did not do before the pandemic is it really is true that um, people who are supposed to have health insurance are not getting the information about health insurance from the college. People who are on a three-year contract. And let, let me say something about that because that's a great example of something that the union managed to do with great pressure in bargaining, not through the state uh, assembly or Senate, um, which was uh, to say that if you have an adjunct in a department who has for 10 semesters in a row, that means five years straight, taught at least two courses, you now have to offer that adjunct a three-year contract and in that three-year contract, the adjunct has to be offered two courses a semester, which means that that adjunct can have health insurance. And if, for whatever reason, both classes don't run, then you have to offer the instructor the option of taking, let's say, three courses in the spring if they want, or having non-teaching adjunct hours to do some project for your department that would preserve that person's health insurance. So um, as crazy as it sounds, right, as tiny a step as that is, what it means for a student is that if you have, if, if there has been someone with incredible amount of experience who's been carrying a course, like uh, a labor history course or uh, uh, an urban studies course that they have some specialization in and that they really know and they know how to teach it to the CUNY students or they've been working with SEEK, for example, right? Then that person has a certain guarantee of stability that reflects the way the department's operated. And because and, uh, otherwise an adjunct can just be, you know, um, as, as Mato said in his quite... Um, a nasty letter to the uh, New York uh, congressional representatives about the CARES Act money. Like layoffs, we didn't lay anyone off. They're not employees. They come, you know, from semester to semester. I don't know why you would refer to them as employees. Um, but in order for that whole system to operate, you actually have to. So that that you can see how that gets complicated. For the university, instead of just treating people as completely disposable workers, they actually have to say, oh, wait, this adjunct actually has um, this many years. Oh, this adjunct is qualifying for that. And that means the department has to observe the person and file a report on the person. We have to actually pay attention to who this person is. And there's also there are one year contracts. And essentially, HR has not been tracking that. Um, and. Um, I, I feel like I have um, this semester just uh, been working with the union grievance counselors to be a sort of um, when HR drops the ball, we catch it and push it forward. Um, and so um, here's here's uh, as usual, I uh, my point gets buried at the end. What does this have to do with the administration? It has this to do with the administration. Um, Frank Wu and Sandy Kirko, who's the labor designee, say, you know, if there's ever a problem, reach out to us, contact us directly, let us know. Um, and they're responsive and it takes time and maybe they're not as responsive as we like. But, you know, if we show that this person really deserves that contract, they, they honor the contract. Um, but that's not actually the way to run a university. 
the, what they haven't said is what's the structural problem here that's causing this to happen? What's going wrong at HR? What do we need to do for the adjuncts? What would provide stability? And they don't say that because, as Jane said, they don't actually have the money to do that. Um, or they haven't stood up for the resources. And we all know what happened with the New York City subways, right? When they, like, signals on the subways are invisible to a commuter. You don't see that the positronic, whatever, whatever system is there isn't working. What you see is that your train is going unbearably slow and it's not showing up and you're late once again. Um, that's what you see. So when students don't see, can't get their classes, they might see that, but they don't see the back end. Someone at the top has to stand up and say whatever Byford said about signals that made people in New York City and in the state legislature actually talk about signals and that made the collapse of the subway Cuomo's problem because it's Cuomo's problem. They're, they're, the, 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 the silence of Matos Rodriguez, the silence of um, the, all the CUNY presidents, the silence of Bill Thompson, the silence of the entire board of trustees, the unwillingness to stand up and say, we can't run CUNY on this budget. We cannot provide the education to the the students of New York City that we promise on this budget, we cannot actually guarantee minimal stability to the staff and faculty trying to work at this institution to provide that education, um, makes it an invisible crisis where, you know, students don't get the courses they need and graduation rates may drop and all of that. But until people are willing to stand up and start screaming about it, um, it is a, a much harder case to make or until students would mobilize and faculty and staff would mobilize in a way that would be visible across New York and would really make people feel pressure. Uh, this is sort of a, uh, you know, uh, it, it becomes individualized. Oh, my financial aid got screwed up. Oh, I didn't get the course I needed. Oh, I'm graduating uh, a year later, but it's not you. It's actually systemic, and it would be very helpful if um, the leadership, both on our campus and of CUNY generally, would stand up and make that clear. Yeah. Thank you. Um, David, you touched on mobilization of students and faculty, so that turns me to you, Jane. So how do you mobilize students and faculty, especially during this tumultuous time where there's a pandemic and everyone's worried about catching coronavirus, everyone's struggling to make ends meet. But I guess you can answer this in times prior. How have you seen people get mobilized to actually stand up for CUNY? And how would you encourage others to stand up for it now? Wow. Yeah, you know, it's a really tough question um, because, uh, you know, it's easy to talk about, you know, yes, we have to mobilize. But as David pointed out before, um, people are stretched pretty thin, and I think that goes both for students and for uh, the workers at CUNY um, that are, you know, the, um, the stresses at, that are on us. Uh, so, for example, those who are teaching, online teaching has required much more time and energy. Um, for students, it's also required more time and energy. Uh, plus, you know, everyone has their, you know, students also have their jobs, they're working, or they're you know, stressed out by, uh, you know, the, the current situation going on with COVID, um, dealing with 
you know, dealing with everything that, that people are dealing with. And so time is really the, the big issue. And David really touched on this when he was talking about, you know, the, uh, that it's necessary for us to have the time to mobilize, but everything they're doing that we need to mobilize against is taking that time away from us. So we have to, at some point, we have to say, we're going to take our time back. And we are going to take that time away from management and we're going to take it to mobilizing. But that's a, that's a hard thing for a lot of people to, to overcome, especially I find that what happens at CUNY, one of the big challenges we have in terms of uh, mobilizing, especially faculty, uh, is that um, so many faculty are just so dedicated to the students that they say, well, I, you know, I have to put my students first. And so, you know, if they've added more students in my class, I just have to work that extra time to teach them. And CUNY management knows that we're going to do this. They know that so many of the faculty are so dedicated that we will make the sacrifices and we will absorb that. And that's really, it's really the equivalent of sort of speeding up the, the assembly line in the factory, right? You just like, oh, I'll just go faster and faster. In this case, it's because we're motivated to help the students. We want to support the students. And and at some point, we have to say, we're not helping the students if we're not fighting for more funding. And the students themselves you know, are just struggling to get by. They're thinking, I don't want to get involved in anything. I just got to focus on what I'm doing. But I think students also need to think about not only themselves in terms of the resources they need, but also the future generations. Like, If we're going to fight for CUNY, we're fighting for the future generations. We're not fighting just for ourselves, because we may not even see the gains that we are fighting for, right? We are fighting for CUNY to exist for the next generations, for CUNY to be accessible to the next generations, for quality public higher education to be accessible to New Yorkers for the foreseeable future. And if we don't fight, we're gonna lose that. And that's, you know, it, we can just see it being chipped away semester by semester and not even chipped away, but hacked away, right? Like big chunks of it being hacked away every semester. So we're going to lose it soon if we don't fight for it. And I think that really it's just a, a question of um, overcoming this, uh, you know, this kind of short-sighted thing where we say we have to, we have to just focus and do our thing and, and having a longer view of fighting for the future. Um, if we don't want, you know, I personally don't have kids, but like for, for, the, for the kids and grandkids, you know, of the future generations, we owe them to, to have this fight. We can't just kick it down the road to them because then they're going to be fighting when there's nothing left to save, right? So we have to do this now. How to do it in a pandemic when we're not face-to-face -face is a complicated uh, question, but we've had some really interesting conversations um, at Queens College about like what it would look like, for example, what, what a strike might look like if we were to go on strike, what that would look like in a virtual world. And, and there are all kinds of interesting ideas that came up. Um, one thing was um, for uh, faculty and staff of color and students of color to strike, and particularly black students, um, to strike against the PR uh, that the administration kind of exploits them for PR purposes and to say, we're not going to be in any of your PR. We're not going to let you use us. Um, other things have focused on what staff can do. Can they sort of withhold labor in ways that um, might go under the radar, but then might cause sort of um, 
chaos or confusion among management. Um, these are just things that we've talked about, ideas we've talked about. Um, you know, they haven't been implemented yet, but I think we're we're looking at uh, at how we could do that and and what would a strike look like when everything's online. In a normal strike, we would have picket lines outside on the campus. What does a virtual picket line look like? We don't necessarily have the answers to this, but we're we're really trying to have that conversation now because we need to come up with some really powerful tactics um, and powerful strategies to move this forward. Um, you know, we we can't just let them gut CUNY like this um, and really and destroy people's lives. Um, you know, getting rid of people's health insurance in a pandemic, you know, this is not acceptable. And I think that most students wouldn't find that uh, acceptable either. So I think, I don't think there's any easy answer to how you mobilize. It does take time. It does take energy. It takes resources. Um, but we just have to sort of be creative and, uh, and, and be determined with that long vision, right? Say we may have to take some time away from the students we have this semester in order to fight for the next generation of students. So, and hopefully the students can be part of that because we can't win it without the students. We need to be united, students and workers together, fighting to save students. So um, I guess my last question kind of is, is there a light at the end of the tunnel? Is there some possibility of us returning to some semblance of normalcy where faculty aren't struggling to make ends meet and where students aren't struggling to pay tuition? Can we see, you know, looking forward to the future that there will be change and it will be significant and it will work to serve not only the faculty, but it will serve to help the students and everyone all around the CUNY community and future prospective students. And I guess, you know, David, because you can start and then Jane after. The, the light at the end of the tunnel is sometimes the train barreling forward, of course. Um, that is, this is the, you know, this is the conversation that has happened the entire time I've been at CUNY, where uh, people who hired me tell me it can't get worse than this. Oh, you've seen it as bad as it gets. Um, but we've been living with significant austerity at CUNY the entire time that I'm here. And there are a number of ways to illustrate this. Um, one, one illustration I want to give about the dedication that faculty can show for CUNY is that one of the strongest chapters in the PSC isn't the Queens College chapter, the Baruch chapter, the York chapter, the LaGuardia chapter, it's the retirees. There's a whole group of faculty and staff whose dedication to CUNY continues well after they stop working at CUNY. And as Jane pointed out, they suddenly have a lot more time. Uh, so people who weren't even necessarily involved in union work when they were faculty uh, are now, or staff, because they were doing their jobs so much, are now advocates for CUNY as retirees. And, and that speaks to the sort of broader support that's out there. There have been efforts, something called the CUNY Rising Alliance, to have community support. So it's not just the students and the faculty, but the people and the staff. It's the community around them. And that's really important because um, it's, it's critical not to see 
CUNY like a private institution that's just there to serve the people who are enrolled in it. CUNY plays a huge variety of roles in the lives of New Yorkers that you might not see. I'm in the education department. It's not just that we're training future teachers in some limited way. We have a whole array of relationships for professional development and support for the schools uh, that, are, that exist. There's many, many roles like that that people play in all kinds of ways. So um, it's, it's, it's a broader piece. Um, but, but the real question of funding is, is like asking about, can there be a new deal? Can there be a new deal for the environment? What would a sustainably funded CUNY look like? There has been conversation and it's been part of the current presidential campaign to not charge tuition for community colleges. But one example of the way that this all makes a difference is if you look at a program like ASAP as soon as possible in the community colleges, and, and it has some criticisms, but if you give students a dedicated advisor who is a well-supported staff member and doesn't have an overwhelming number of students to work with, and you give them priority registration for classes, which is a, the flip side of that is if you actually had enough classes for the students to get through in four years, graduate, and you also provide those students with a few things like the textbooks, the Metro cards. It's nothing that's really all that expensive. You see graduation rates rise tremendously. Uh, there's already a huge number of students at CUNY who don't pay tuition, but receive TAP instead. There's something that is, that gets called the TAP gap, the difference between the tuition that the university makes uh, that the university charges and the TAP aid. So right now, undergraduate full flat rate tuition is around $7,000 a year. TAP is capped at $5,000 a year. So CUNY schools have a built-in deficit of $2,000 per student. But that's a crazy way of looking at it. For just, an, you know, CUNY's budget is something like $3.5 billion. The New York State budget um, is well over $100 billion. I can't remember, it's 135, 150, 180. But, you know, another billion dollars could replace the student tuition. And if you replace student tuition, uh, you would have much higher graduation rates. And then if you look at uh, uh, one of the studies about what role CUNY plays in the economy, there's been a study about Queens and the, the billions of dollars that its students contribute once they graduate. CUNY colleges at the community college level and at the senior college level are something like seven out of 10 of the colleges in the United States that move students out of poverty and into solid middle-class positions. And that is so important, not for individual CUNY students and not for individual faculty, but for the stability and prosperity of New York and of the United States. And in fact, CUNY moves more students into, you know, middle classes, it, it casts it in economic terms. That's not the right terms. It's actually, it takes people and lets them, uh, the, there's the Aaron Copeland School of Music, there are art courses. It just provides not just a steady job and health insurance, but it provide it opens doors to all kinds of ideas and possibilities and life paths from which every other New York 
New Yorker and actually, uh, you know, person in the world, frankly, benefits from. And CUNY does that for more students than all of the Ivy League and the Stanfords and Chicago, all of the elite private institutions who receive a ton of different kinds of support in both research funding and in the way the taxes are structured. Um, you know, CUNY is such an important institution for the future of the country and would benefit so many people from such relatively minor investments because CUNY students are so dedicated and the things that they do when they graduate are the things that make not just the city run, but also they are the next Lin-Manuel Miranda or whatever, you know, they, that, that enrich our lives. Um, it, it's crazy how small the investment is. Um, so being able to make that visible for people, not just making the case that CUNY's falling down and that you're destroying it and that it's going to fall apart, which is all true and needs to be made, but also sharing the possibility of all the contributions that a funded CUNY affords. I mean, it's as silly as things like the Colden Center is the largest performing arts center in Queens. This could be BAM if there was better public transportation, right? There's no subway that reaches Queens. The bus service has been cut back. And there's just so many different ways in which a well-funded CUNY would be part of a much better functioning America and contribute, frankly, to the world, that it's important not to lose track of that. Um, will I get to see that in my lifetime? Uh, as Jane said, I don't know. Um, I think so many faculty and staff are, um, if, you, if you have read Animal Farm at all, there's a, there's a character in there who's sort of an audience favorite, Boxer the Horse, who's always a positive attitude and can do everything. And all he says is, I'll work harder. Um, that's Chancellor Matos Rodriguez. We'll do more with less. You know, and in the end, they box him up and sell, the pigs sell him to a glue factory. Um, and um, that's the threat. And that's what happens if all that everybody says is we'll just work harder. But I think it's really important to remember that for whatever reason you ended up at CUNY, um, there's a huge promise that CUNY has made and has tried very hard to keep. It has a lot more potential to fulfill that promise than uh, you see right now with all these cuts. I would like to think that things will change. Um, on this day of electoral college uncertainty and Senate uncertainty and city and state budget crisis, I, I'm, I, I, can, I can see the vision. I don't see the path to get there is not clear to me. Jane, can, yeah, <laughs> Karen, I agree, I disagree. No, I, I totally agree. Um, and I think that was a great point um, that David raises about the importance of vision, right? Like having a, a vision of where we want to go. I do think that's important. Um, and, and I also agree that, you know, it is hard to see, you know, how we get from the current, uh, you know, the current sort of trajectory, which is just cuts, cuts, cuts. And yes, just work harder, do more with less, that whole mentality. Um, and the um, and like I said, the sort of self-sacrifice uh, that so many faculty, you know, engage in, um, which just really feeds into that. And um, 
Yeah, I, I think, you know, we, we just have to, I guess the vision is part of what I'm talking about in terms of uh, doing this for future generations, but framing it as something that we're fighting for, not just something we're fighting against, um, I think is really important. So yeah, I mean, we just have to, you know, uh, try to be creative and we will have to make sacrifices of our time and our energy and take risks and um, really figure out how to uh, unite um, all of all of New York City. As David said, that was another really important point that um, I, I definitely echo is the importance of of CUNY, not just for the current students and faculty and staff, and also not just for the future generations of students and faculty and staff, but also just for the whole city. It's a resource for the whole city. And, um, you know, there's so, so it has so much to offer. I mean, I think one of the, one of the things um, that David didn't mention in terms of what uh, CUNY offers is um, it's a, it's a, place where for students, many of them are coming into contact with people from different, um, different environments, different uh, neighborhoods, different experiences, different backgrounds. And I think that there's so much social segregation and so much residential segregation in New York City. There's so much, even though we think of New York City as being very diverse, but people are really very segregated. A lot of the, the schools, the public school system is pretty segregated. And so sometimes, you know, people come into CUNY and they're exposed to people from different, uh, different perspectives. And I think that's a really rich part of an education. Uh, and it's something that CUNY can offer that uh, a private school wouldn't necessarily offer in the same way. So it's, it's extremely valuable. Um, it's, of course, ideally, we wouldn't have the levels of segregation we have everywhere else. But CUNY is a place where students come from all different backgrounds into a room and talk about things. And I think that's really important. Um, and I, I definitely, I do want to just give a shout out to um, the Black Latinx Faculty and Staff Association at Queens College, which has been fighting for uh, social justice um, and against uh, anti-Black racism at Queens College, and I think that work is incredibly important, and we haven't really um, had a chance to talk much about that, but I think that's worthy of maybe a whole other podcast would be um, to invite them, because they've got really a vision for, uh, you know, an anti-racist um, Queens College uh, with social justice. So I think that's really just an important part of the vision to include. been listening to the QC Pod, the podcast about all things Queens College. We're on the web at queenspodcastlab.org slash QCPod. Our theme music is Lake Monsters by John Flansburg of They Might Be Giants. I'm Joseph Cohen. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>